so this morning we're going to do, uh, actually this week, the next couple of weeks, just a couple kind of one-off sermons on a few different things uh, as we just finished our our uh, sermon series on the first five books of the Bible. Starting in the middle of October, we're going to do uh, about five weeks on what is the church, big picture of who we are and uh, kind of where we're going as a church. And that coincides, which you may or may not be aware of, of the 25th anniversary of Church of the Apostles. And so we're going to be this church, this local body here. And so we're going to be celebrating that in October together. And so we'll do that starting October 14th. But today we're actually going to talk about uh, money and being generous and what that looks like and what the Bible has to say about it. And uh, so I wanted to start with this scenario, and I want you to think about this for just a second. Try to, the best you can, imagine this scenario and kind of hold the question I'm going to ask in your mind for just a second. But imagine you leave here today. Uh, you go home, whatever you do at home. You're sitting on your couch. Somebody comes to the door. Uh, they knock on the door, and you go to the door, and they say, uh, you have a distant relative that you didn't know about, and they've just passed away. Uh, they were a billionaire and they've left all their money uh, to their family and it's been equally divided. And so here's a check after taxes, free and clear of $50 million for you. And they hand you that check, right? And they close the door and they walk off. And the reality now of you have plenty of money to do whatever you want, whenever you want, all those things are taken care of. What do you do? What do you spend? Uh, what immediately comes to mind? I would do X. Whatever that is, I just want you to think about that for a second. Or, or maybe what are, what's the top three things, right, that come, come flooding into your mind? I don't want you to think too hard about it, just what immediately comes to mind. If somebody goes, here you go, and now you've got it, what would you do, where would you go, what would that look like? And I want you just to think about that for a second, just kind of hold that in your mind. We'll come back to that in a minute, but I just want you to think about what that would be. And so as we're going to talk about this, I just want to aside for a second as we go back into this. Uh, you know, we just finished um, this year going through the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us, we spent almost seven months going through Ephesians, working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And one of the things that he says very clearly in Ephesians, and it's in Ephesians chapter four, is he says uh, that he's called the, uh, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And then he talks right after that about how we grow up into the fullness of Christ. And he says, we speak the truth to one another in love that we might grow up into the fullness of the maturity that God's called us to in Jesus. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but that's the main idea of what he's saying. And as uh, we went through Ephesians, that kind of just kept coming back. I uh, felt like God was teaching me that through Ephesians, right? Over and over of boldly and clearly saying who God is, uh, when we talk about speaking the truth and love, that's pointing one another to what is true of us in Jesus and through the gospel and saying so. And sometimes the, the truth is it's hard to say that sometimes, right? Just, we see the truth and we see what it is. And when one another, when we're not walking clearly in that, it's hard to say that. But that's how we grow. Paul talks about that's how we grow, that we speak the truth in love to one another. And so as I thought about that and I was thinking about this week, uh, God's been dealing with me in that, that I need to do better at that in some areas. And one of those things that became clear to me this week as I was thinking about it is uh, I, I've been at Church of the Apostles uh, as pastor here for almost nine years. And I went back and looked this week. I preached over 400 sermons. I thought, whoa, that's a lot. Like I didn't even realize 400 and something sermons. But as I was looking at it and thinking through that Ephesians 4 of speaking the truth in love and what that looks like, 
uh, what dawned on me is I have preached five times on giving and money and what that means. And God really convicted me that the reason that I have not done that more clearly and more often is because I'm afraid of what people might think, which is not seeing God as glorious and his word being more important than how I feel about it. And I need to repent of that. That's not good. I don't ever want to be in that place that this is what God clearly says. I go, ah, but I'm not sure how people will take that. So I just want to say that publicly. I need to repent of that and ask your forgiveness as a pastor in this church. I need to do a better job of that because this is a very important issue. And we're going to talk about why this morning, why that's the case, right? Because when you start to read through the Bible, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jesus talks in the Gospels about money more than any other subject. Uh, twice as much as he talks about heaven and hell. You go, whoa, that's, that's a lot. Right? Or, or you read through the Bible and it starts to talk about money and your possessions and what that looks like. There's 2,400 verses in the Bible. 2,400 Twice as many as there are if you combine all the verses on faith and prayer. It was very convicting to me as I read that and thought about that this week. That I can easily kind of go, uh, I don't want people to look at like uh, he's asking for money or he's talking about that. It's always a weird position in the church when you work for a church and I get a paycheck from this church. And it sounds like my personal interest is in that. And that's me caring more what people think than what God says. And so I need to repent of that. And I want us to think about what the Bible does say about this and why it's so important. Let me just pose that question. Why are there so many verses about money in the Bible? Why is that over and over and over? Why does Jesus talk about it so much? And so I want us to consider that first. Why is there so much there? But then secondly, when we start to look at why it's there, what can we learn from it? What's God teaching us in that? Why is it important that we look at that? And then lastly, how do we grow in this? All right, so let's just start with first why there's so much there. Why is it that God's saying that? And I think the answer is it's a window to our heart's condition, to our spiritual uh, formation or our spiritual maturity. Right. So I want you to hear this quote and then we're going to look at what Jesus says. But this quote hit me pretty hard this week. It's by a guy named Richard Halverson. He was the president of World Vision, which is a missions organization for like 20 years. He said, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing, because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scripture, there's an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. It's a pretty serious statement. When you think about what he says there, money is an exact index to a man's true character. Is that fair? When you think about it, is that a fair statement to say? Or maybe more importantly, is that a true statement? That money is the exact index of a man's true character. Or, or more important than that is, if it's true, is it, is it biblical? Is that what God's word says? That's more important than any of those others. Is that what God's word says? And so I want you to think about what character means. Right? Character is kind of the sum total of who we are. Not just the public face or what people see about us or what we say when we're around people, but what we do in private, 
what we do in all of our life and the way all of that comes together. And so the idea is that, that money and the way we spend it and what we value and what we're willing to give our time and our effort and, and our actual physical money to reveals what we truly care about. And I want you just to think about that for just a second and then look at what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6. So let's pick up in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And then verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So like all of Matthew 5, 6 and 7, the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says a ton in just these little statements. There's a lot there, right there. He just said a whole lot. But I want you just to kind of zoom in on verse 21 because I think that summarizes the first statement that he says there in 19 to 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What we use our resources, what God's given us, and and by resources I mean financially money that he's given us, but our homes, the things he's given us, the things that he's put under our care, the way we use those resources reveals what we care about. Right? That's what Jesus is saying, where your heart is, where your treasure is, what you're putting value on is where your heart is. And so when we start to think about what that looks like, what you most value and treasure, the next step would say is born out of what you actually believe to be true. Your beliefs kind of lead what your heart condition and the way that you see and operate and what you treasure in your heart. And so what we're saying or what I want you to think about, and I think Jesus is saying here is, uh, that the way that we treasure things, the way we spend our money, the way we give our time reveals what we most care about, right? And that's built on what we believe. And so I want you to go back to that first question that I asked just a second. The person shows up at your door and they hand you a check for $50 million. What do you buy without thinking twice about it? What just, just immediately, effortlessly spending your money and go to what comes to mind right? that you don't think twice about family okay right yeah so the things that you treasure immediately come to mind right there's different things that immediately come to mind i would even say to you you don't even actually have to do that you don't have to go through that scenario you could just go look at your checkbook and you could start to look at the things that you immediately spend money on i've said this before I'll, i'll confess this uh when my very favorite music or, or band comes to town and I see tickets go on sale, I buy them and I don't think twice. Right? I, I don't. It's like I value that. I want to go. I like that experience. It's something that I enjoy a lot. And so I usually don't even stop to think about it. It's like I'm going. Right? And so that's that's kind of shows you where my heart is and what I value. Right? It starts to show what that looks like. And so here's what I want you to consider. The way that you see and use money is a window to where you are in your spiritual growth because it reveals what you truly believe. Right? Let me say that again. The way you see and use money is a window to where you are in your spiritual growth because it reveals what you truly believe. 
The way we use our money and the way we see it reveals what we see as most important. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. You're either seeking to spend money and use it towards earthly things, things that are going to go away, that are not eternal, or you're seeking to use it for eternal things. I know that can be kind of vague, but that's, that's the division he gives there. Either things that can rust and destroy where thieves break in and steal, or you're laying up treasures in heaven. That cannot, that won't rust and, and be stolen or go away, but will always be there. Eternal value versus temporal value. That's the, that's the way he says it. And so I want you to begin to think about what that looks like in your own life. Right? Now, that might be kind of a vague uh, split there to think about. Maybe hard to put it exactly on that. What is of eternal value, which is that versus this just temporal But I want you to think about what the Bible says. And I want to just give you a sketch real quickly on big picture of what it talks about when it talks about our possessions and our money. We just went through the first five books of the Bible and we see this in Leviticus and repeated in Deuteronomy. And it's there at the beginning. We see that God introduces this idea of first fruits and a tithe in the Old Testament. Are you familiar with what that means? Sometimes we talk about tithe, and I think there's a lot of things that get kind of mixed up that's not real clear. Tithe just means 10%. That's what tithe means, right? So when somebody says, I tithe 2%, that makes no sense, right? I 10%, 2%, right? That's what you're saying. That's literally what the word means, right? Tithe means 10%, and it was to come out of your first fruits that you were bring to the temple, right? And what it was is in an agrarian society, most of the people were farmers, so they were growing some crop. And so when your harvest came in, you took the first 10% of your very best and you presented it to God. And it was a way to remember that all that you have and all that is yours is actually God's. And so God instituted that with Israel to remind them that it's all his. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense if you place it in what we just looked at through the first five books of the Bible. Remember, God saves them from slavery where they had nothing, right? They were in forced slavery where all that they did and all that they worked would just go to their slave masters. They didn't really have anything. Now, all of a sudden, they have quite an abundance by comparison. And God says, I want you to bring me the first tenth always so you're remembering what I've done for you and who I am, right? That was all the way through Deuteronomy. Don't forget what God has done and who he is, and it's a way to remind you, right? And so we see that. And then the question becomes, and we were wrestling with some of these things as we went through the first five books of the Bible, is that for today? Was that something that God was doing with Israel then, or do we carry that forward today? Right? Do we now just tithe to the church and we bring a tenth here and that's the way we get back to God and that's what it looks like? And I'm going to tell you as honestly as I can, I don't know. I think Jesus says, as he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, you tithe And you do all these things and you should. He seems to put his stamp of approval on it. He says, but your heart's not in it and you're neglecting the poor and caring for other people. And you're not doing all the things I want you to do. And I want your heart. But he seems to kind of put his stamp of approval on the tide. But the question remains, is he just talking to the religious leaders of the day and the way that they're functioning within that Old Testament system? Or or is it for us? And again, I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know exactly. I really don't read a bunch of stuff on both sides of that, and there's convincing arguments. But what I do know is the New Testament tells you a whole lot of things that it clearly affirms. And they seem to line up in a lot of ways with what they were doing in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you'd bring your tithe, and it was to help the work of the priests. 
as they were ministering to the people, but it was also to help feed the poor and those in need and to care for needs within the body. And it was to do these things. And then you read in the New Testament and it affirms all those big ideas. It's good to support those that work full time in ministry to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul says that in Second Timothy. Right, that that's that's part of what we're doing. It tells us to to give and pool our resources for those that are in need. We go, yes. Right? It tells us to uh, support missionary work uh, in Second Corinthians nine. Paul's talking about taking up a collection and what that looks like and how they should do that and how wonderful it is. And the collection is for another church plan. And as the gospel goes out. And so you see that. You see uh, giving not just out of your abundance, but giving sacrificially. Jesus talks about this a couple of different times. When you think about that, that's a pretty important idea. That we're not just tipping God out of what's left over, but we're giving to a point for God's glory and for his work and for his name that we actually have to step back on some things that we might want to do so that we can give sacrificially. Right. And Jesus affirms that. And so you start to see all these things. He tells us to give joyfully, not out of compulsion, but an overflow of your heart. And you start to take all these things together, uh, give sacrificially, give joyfully, and God will bless you. Now, that gets distorted really easy. And I always want to say that real careful. Health and wealth gospel says you give uh, generously and then God will make you rich. Actually, what it says is you give generously and God will bless you so you can give more. That's, that's really what it says. And we, they like to leave the last part off. Give, send us a check, and then God will make you rich. And that's not what it says. You give generously and you sow uh, liberally, and God's going to bring a great harvest in that. And then he's going to bless you to be a blessing. That's always the way God's working. You see that always from the beginning with uh, Abraham. I'm going to bless you so that you're a blessing to the world. And so if I was to summarize all of that and what the Bible talks about, we think, well, tithe, is it 10%? I don't know. But I would say to you, it's a good place to start. It's a good place to think about. And I don't want to be legalistic and say it's exactly what it looks like. But that's a good goal to aim for and to be working towards. And so if you go, man, I only give 1%. Okay, well, next year, strive for giving 2%. Beginning to think what that looks like, giving sacrificially, taking all these things that God brings together. I've heard people say you give 10 percent and then the 90 percent is yours. That's terrible. I'm sorry. It is this. It's all God's. Every bit of it. And I think as we grow and as we grow in our understanding of who God is and what he's done for us, 10 percent might be where we start. But I want to continue to go beyond that. I want to give sacrificially as the Lord leads and the things that he puts in front of me. And I want to continue to grow in that. And so I don't know what that is. And I think sometimes the deceitfulness of our heart can take any one of those things and twist it to be something it shouldn't. Well, God says not to give under compulsion, but a cheerful giver. And I'm not real cheerful about it. So, right. That's the deceitfulness of my heart. It's the same thing about the 10 percent. I give 10 percent and then 90 percent is mine. But God might be calling you to do something more than that. God may have gifted you to make a whole lot of money so that you can bless a whole lot of people. He may be calling you to give 50 percent. And that's not for me to tell you. It's the spirit leading you on what that looks like and being a joyful giver. But maybe that's the case. And so when we take all of that and what the Bible says about it, I want us to think about, well, what can we learn from that? 
Right? If, if the truth is the way we see our money is a window to where we are in our spiritual growth and it reveals what we truly believe, then the next question is, well, what does that look like? What does that reveal? How are you doing? How are we doing collectively as a body? And I want you just to think about what that looks like. Uh, I've been at Church of the Apostles for 11 years. Right? I said almost nine years as pastor, but we were here for a couple years before that. And in the 11 years I have been here, uh, in our budget each year, we either have exceeded it or been right under it by 5%, like either way, I think in every, all 11 years. And so I would say that just to say that God has been incredibly faithful to this body. And he meets those needs and he continues to do that. And every year I'm like, he did it again. Like, Look at that, right? And I've gotten to the point where I'm not surprised. And he always does. And he meets our needs uh, every year around this time. The end of August, we're always behind. And our giving versus our budget, always. This year, we're behind by, at the end of August, about $20,000. If you're not aware of that, I just t- that's just to tell you that's the reality of where we are. No judgment on that. That's just the truth. And that's where we are. And when we look at it, there's certain things that you look at our budget and where we've spent money and where we're doing the things that we feel like God has called us to do. And as we look at that, to be honest, when we're 20,000 behind, then we have to be really careful about some things. And that's okay. That's good stewardship. And we're always looking at those things and we want to do that. But what we've seen is God always makes up that or he does what he's going to do. And so I don't lose sleep over it. I'm so I don't. I don't worry about it. I I pray about it. I ask God that he would do what he's going to do. And I go home and I go to sleep. Right. And I don't worry about it. And that's a wonderful gift. And it's because of God's faithfulness that I don't have to worry about it. But what I want to say to you as boldly and as clearly as I can, as I look at the trends of our church and God bringing new people and he's been blessing us and we see him working and we see the evidence of his grace. We see people coming to faith. And yet we're still in that same position every year. I go, what is that? Maybe that's just where we are. But a part of me, and I feel like this is true, and this is my feeling. So this is not me speaking from the Bible. This is just me. So Bible's here. And now I'm telling you, is a look at that. I think part of that is my failing and not doing a good job of discipling towards this. And, and I just want to confess that to you. Right? That we need to do a better job in missional communities and in our DNA groups and talking about what it looks like in discipleship and how those two things go together. Right? There's all these verses in the Bible and Jesus plainly says that the way we give and the way we use our money reveals our heart. It reveals kind of our spiritual maturity. And so if we're serious about making disciples who make disciples, that includes like looking at the way we give. And we need to do a better job of that. And I will own that and will say, as your leadership, we need to do a better job of that. I think there's another area that we need to do a better job of as a church. And again, I would say that falls on me and your leadership in this way. We need to do a better job of communicating vision and mission and how your giving helps to go to those things. Right? We have a budget. We publish it. We tell you where it goes. None of that is a secret. If you're visiting or you're here, first of all, if you're visiting, I'm not asking you to give to this church because you're not a member of this church. So don't please don't. That's not what we're asking. But if this is your church home and this is part of it, then this is us collectively together and what we're seeking to do. 
And so when we look at uh, our, our budget, you can look at that. None of that's a secret. Anybody that want to look at it will give you that. I think Luke even made some copies of kind of where we are to date on your way out that you can grab and look at that. And if you've got questions, I'd love to answer those. But what I've seen in this body over time is when we do a good job of that, of communicating vision and here's a need and here's something that we're excited about doing. We do this every year at Christmas. We do a Christmas gift, our Advent conspiracy. We ask you to buy one less gift so we can give it away. And every time we do that, incredible things happen. Right? We, we put kids through school in Honduras. We built a well in India. Last year we got to, to help with the Good Shepherd Clinic. And so all these different things and people do it. And so part of that is our failing of not doing a good job of explaining that. And so I think I need to say this and I want you to hear this. Three weeks ago, your elders went away on a retreat together. And one of the questions that we were wrestling with is what is our five-year plan? What do we want to see God do above and beyond anything that we can ever imagine or think? And we started talking about what would those things look like and how do we get there and what is that? And so I want you to know that your elders are praying that way and we're thinking that way and we're planning towards that. And we're going to work hard to present that more clearly and more fully because we want you to be aware of the things that we see God calling us to and how we can do that together. And so we need to do a better job of communicating that vision to you as the body. And so a couple of things I just would tell you real quickly, when we start to talk about greater vision and bigger things, what that's not is like a building campaign. We're not, Duck and I were joking about this, we're not going to have a big thermometer up here next week that says we're right here, but we've got to get to here and we're, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But I want to see us be more and more involved with church plants and starting new works and seeing the gospel spread. If you're new to this church, you may not be aware of this. It may have predated you. Chris Fogelsong, who used to be here as associate pastor, went and planted a church uh, in Jasper. And for since that time, we've been supporting Chris because we believe that Jasper needed a good gospel centered church. And so we we paid a, a lot. We gave very sacrificially to the beginning of that church and we continue to support them because we see that of his importance to plant healthy churches that plant churches. That's the very core of who we want to be, disciples who make disciples. And so you do give towards that. We are helping with church plants. But this week, uh, Luke and I went to an Acts 29 meeting and met a church planner that's about to plant a church in LJ. And he was talking about needing funds and different things and heard his vision. And it's so similar to our church in so many ways. And I listened to him and I thought, man, I wish we could just give him a big check. And we don't have the money to do it right now. I would love for us to see those things arise and go, yes, we are with you. And we want to help support this church plan. And so greater vision is we want to be able to do those things and do them in greater uh, abundance. We want to see those things growing. Uh, you may not be aware, again, if you haven't been here for long and you're new to this church, 11 years ago when I walked in here, Joanna and I came to visit. Uh, Asher, our oldest, who's now 12, was one years old. And we came in and we visited, and he was the only kid in the nursery. It was Asher and no one else, right? There were two high school students that were awesome, that loved him and played with him, and that was it. There was one kid. Uh, two weeks ago, we had 40 children back there. 40. And you go, that is awesome, right? 
And when I started, I remember people saying, we've yearned to have tons of kids here. And we want to see babies and we see children and we see growth in that way. And God has graciously done that. But when we talk about bigger vision and loving our children. And, and by the way, the ladies that work on that, Autumn and uh, Molly, do so much for our kids ministry. We're teaching them the gospel project. They're learning about Jesus and how to see him in every area of the Bible and what that means. And it's incredible what they're doing. But the truth is, Lord willing, we're going to need more space. And we're going to need more help to do that. And so we want to be giving towards those things so that we can receive people well, so that they would know what Jesus is and we raise our kids in that way. And so we want to see those things. We want to be growing in those areas. We want to make a greater impact on our community. We want to have abundance to give to people who are in need, not just among us, but in our community. We want to be able to meet those needs as they arise. All these things are in our budget. But they're pretty tight right now. And what it would look like to have an abundance to be able to meet those needs and to go out and to see those things happening. Let me just tell you one other thing, big picture, that maybe you haven't heard and I haven't done a good job of saying. But we say this usually at our annual meeting each year. If we meet our budget, whatever that is, anything above that, half of that goes to our facilities in the sense of paying down the debt that we have left on our fellowship hall, which is not very much. I think it's about $80,000. We're paying that off every month. Uh, but that goes towards that. The other half goes towards missions. Right? So if we get a whole bunch of money that comes in at the end of the year, we don't sack that away and go, okay, well, what can we do with it? We then use it to plant churches. We don't hold on to it. If God blesses us, we're blessed to be a blessing and it goes out the door. Right? And so it's never like, okay, well, now what do we do? We came into some money that we didn't know we have. What we do is we get to do more for God's kingdom now. Instead of waiting, we get to do it now. And so I just want you to be aware of those things and all of that together when we start to look at what does it look like to give sacrificially for God's kingdom? What Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on earth, but in heaven, having an eternal perspective on the way that we give. And so the last thing I want us to consider is when we think about that, it does reveal our heart, what we value and what we give towards. And that's for you to wrestle with before the Lord on what that looks like in your own life and us collectively as a church. But as we do, how do we grow in that? Three things I want to tell you real quickly. First, uh, rooted in creation. We sang this morning. I've been singing this creation sings song. In you, we live and move and have our being. Everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that you've been blessed with is God's. All of it. You, you think about it, you go home and this is my house and I live on this property and there's some trees and all that stuff. And every bit of that stuff exists because God says so. Because he holds it together by the word of his power. Every bit of it is his. Every single bit of it. This whole like 90% or 10% or what do I get? It's all God's. We're fooling ourselves if we see it in any other way. Second Corinthians 9, Paul says this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Right? He says all that you have is because God's given it to you. It's his. It's not yours. And so when we get into that thing of like, how much do I give of what I have? I'm, I've started wrong. 
It's all his every bit of it. And then the next thing Paul says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He says, when you give and you give sacrificially, God's going to bless it. and He's going to do this awesome thing and he's going to get the glory. And so when we we start to think about it, it's all his. It's not ours. I, I'll give you an example. I heard this the other day. That was a good say. Somebody comes and offers you uh, a brand new house, your dream house, right? Whatever that is in your mind, the perfect house that suits you and your family and your needs and every bit of it. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the land that will be on. I'm going to give it to you for free and clear. No mortgage, no nothing. It's yours. So the only thing I ask is that you give me one room to stay in. I just I just want a place that I can come and stay from time to time. What would you say? It's mine. You can't be it, right? That's kind of what we do when we act that way with our stuff towards God. Every bit of it's his. Uh, or maybe a, a more poignant example to me anyway. Uh, I go in the store with my children and I say, Dad, will you buy me uh, this candy? And I go, yeah, OK, I get it. And we get in the car and I say, hey, can I have one of those Skittles? No. It's mine, right? It's my candy. And you're like, what? I just bought that like one minute ago, right? Right? We do the same thing with, it's all his. Every single bit of it. And so rooting that in who we are, that we're created by God, it's all his, helps to bring us out of that. But the second thing, not just rooted in creation, but also rooted in redemption. Understanding whose we are, Right? Being generous is a mark of the gospel, of understanding who you are and what Christ has done for you. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, Paul's talking about taking up a collection for a church in need, right? So he's writing to Corinth and he says, I want you to take up a collection. I'm going to take it to these people over here in need. And he says, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Do you understand what he's saying? He says they will glorify God because what you're giving comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. He says you're giving because you understand the gospel. Which the gospel is, we do say, it's all mine. But we ignore God and the world he created. It's all mine. I've got it. I don't need you. And what does God do? I'm going to come to you and I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to do for you what you could never do for yourself. I read right at the beginning this morning in Philippians 2 about he became poor for our sake, right? that he emptied himself. That's the very heart of the gospel that God gives beyond, above and beyond all for our sake. He becomes poor that we might become rich. Right? That's the heart of everything we profess. He takes our sin that we can have his righteousness. He does what we can't do for us that we can be redeemed and reconciled to God. And he gives us all the benefits of that. And it's of no doing of our own. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. That's everything we profess. And what Paul's saying and what the scriptures are saying is the more that we understand that, the more generous we are because we realize all that I have and all that I am is completely because of what God has done and nothing else. Do you see how this becomes a gospel issue? How it reveals our heart in these things. But the last thing I would say to you, not just creation and redemption, but the last one is your joy. Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And I want you to think about this. When we become more generous, 
God is freeing us from making money our God. When we put all our faith in my uh, happiness, my comfort, my protection is found in my bank account and how much money I have and the things I have. That is an idol. And when God is calling us out of that to be generous, radically generous, he's rescuing us from a false idol. And there is a joy that is found in trusting God more than trusting things. And that is a wonderful thing. And it's because God is gracious. I don't know if you realize this pretty obvious statement, but God doesn't need your money. Right. It's, it's all his. There's nothing that is not his. But he's rescuing us from that false idol. And there's a joy that is found in giving. And I'll tell you this, when we do that, we're aligning ourselves with our identity in Christ. Right? Who you are in Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes and does for us what we could never do. He's radically generous in the most incredible ways that have ever been fathomed. And when we begin to live out of that, we're aligning ourselves with our identity in Jesus. Jesus, And there is a great joy to be found in that. And so when we call about all, I've said this before. I'm not saying any of this is like we want to make our budget or we want to do that. I want to see the gospel go out. And I will preach and teach and make disciples whether I'm paid or not. It's not what any of this is about. I, I really don't care. I'll go do something else, but I'll still be here. And I'll still be helping to make disciples because of who God is. But it's for our joy and for God's glory that we want to do that, that we want to be radically generous, that we would show his glory. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. I thank you for the ways that you love us, the ways you continue to reveal to us the way you're working. We thank you that you are so generous towards us. I pray that as we grow in our discipleship, wanting to love you and to follow you, that you would continue to shape us and mold us. I pray that you would reveal the areas of our heart where we're we're making other things our treasure or our idols, that you would show us how you meet our needs, how you are more important than any of that pray that you continue to grow us up into the fullness of what you've called us to be in Jesus. We do pray uh, as a body here, expand our vision of what you want to do in and through us. I pray that you would give us a vision so large of the way that you're going to work through us. that There's no possible way any of it can ever happen except by your grace and your movement. We want to be trusting you radically in all these ways to see you move. We thank you. Uh, We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.